want you to take your Bible with me. I'm going to be in a familiar passage, I think, in the Gospel of Matthew, one of my favorite passages, where we're going to review some of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And I'm really going to be settling in on one verse, Matthew 5, verse 7. But it might take me a while to get there. Matthew chapter 5. This is the, the longest sermon that Jesus preached that's recorded in the Scripture. And I think it's the best sermon that's ever been preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to read the first seven verses of Matthew chapter 5. And again, verse 7 is going to be the, the basis of our message today. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Our fathers, we settle in on this passage and this theme throughout this week of forgiveness. I pray that you would uh, use this verse here, as small in stature, but just packed full of challenging truths for us to digest today. So help us to hear what you want us to hear, and don't keep us where we're at. Uh, Move us along to maturity, to becoming more like Christ or to know Christ personally. In Jesus' name, amen. During this summer, on Sunday mornings, we've been offering not so much lectures of transferring information to you, but attempting to have some sincere, heart-to-heart talks about your relationship and my relationship with God. We have been focusing on a personal revival that there wouldn't be anything between our relationship with ourselves and God, and in more recent weeks, now our relationships with ourselves and others. I suspect it's more fitting to say that our, our messages hasn't been so much like a classroom where a teacher has been behind a lectern and teaching students in desk. Rather, it's been one of which a friend, a dear friend, has come over to your living room or your dining room and, and has sat at your table and over a cup of coffee and a slice of pie has just been able to ask you very personal questions that probe to what's really going on in your heart. So during this summer series, we've hit on topics like how to have a clear conscience, repentance, obedience, holiness. What's it look like to have a grace filled life. And now this morning, we're going to hit on a topic called forgiveness. This this morning, early this morning, it occurred to me that we've heard this message a couple of different times this spring and summer. In fact, I looked it up to be official. The last Sunday of April, 
Uh, Roman preached on the parable of the unforgiving servant. Just a few weeks later, we had a guest speaker with Life Action preached on the very same passage. Uh, Roman, I think I liked yours better. Uh, <laughs> and now we're going to hear another message on this topic of forgiveness. And you have to ask yourself, why would we hear three messages on this particular topic? And I'm reminded of a story that I've heard and, and I think I've shared recently, but it fits so well that I think it drive home a point. There was a Baptist church that had a vacancy. They were looking for a pastor. And so they posted that position and they cast it widely. And eventually they found a man and a family that they really liked. They interviewed him and his answers were solid They looked at him. He looked like he was an ideal fit for that local church. And they were excited to call him a unanimous vote that they had that particular morning. They moved his family to that local church. And on his first Sunday, he preached a passionate message. It was biblically sound. It was theologically accurate. And it was applicable to everyone in the congregation. And behind the, in the pews, you could see one another on the search team nudging one another and saying, we got our man. The second Sunday followed, and the pastor got up to preach, and he preached the exact same message. And they looked at one another and says, well, it was good the second time as well. We appreciated what he had to say. The third Sunday, the pastor walked up to the pulpit, read the same passage, and preached the same sermon. Now the congregation was a little bit more agitated and asking themselves, if he does this again next week, deacons, it's up to you to sit down and have a talk with him. The fourth Sunday rolled around, and you know what happened? The pastor walked up to the pulpit, read the same passage, and preached the same sermon. And after the service, the deacons requested a few moments with him in his study. And as he sat down at the off, in the, behind his desk, he asked, Well, what can I do for you, brothers? They said, We're a bit concerned that you've been preaching the same sermon every Sunday. Our question is, do you have another sermon? The preacher took off his glasses, folded his arms, and responded, I do have another sermon, but the church hasn't obeyed the first one yet. And I don't know you well enough to know if we need this a third time, but I I suspect we do. I want to just be honest with you today that I don't preach a message on forgiveness as one perched up on a mountain, isolated by himself, and looking down at the battlefield of all those people that are struggling in sin, particularly the sin of unforgiveness and bitterness. Actually, I'm right down on that battlefield myself working through this sin in my own life. And I'm here to tell you, as, as we've been working through this series, we haven't been doing it alone. We've been using this wonderful resource called Seeking Him. So I'm preaching this morning on forgiveness. And then for the next five days, all of you that would like, you can follow along with me and unpack this in a very careful and thoughtful way in your lives. If you don't have one of these books and you'd like to get one of these books, there's some right up here on the front row. Maybe you're saying, I'm not interested in that book, 
But this topic of forgiveness really hits me. It's something I'm going through. By the way, I think that's probably all of us here. We've taken some time and printed out a little uh, a guide that to me is the best thing I've ever read and went through on this topic of forgiveness. And this little guide is also on the front row. And so this message is not intended to be a standalone. If you're a painter and you know what it's like to paint in your house, perhaps you've painted a wall that's a really a deep, dark color. And you know that you can't get it in one coat. So you need two coats. There's the primer coat. And then there's the color that you actually want to paint it. Well, this is this morning, this installment on Sunday morning sermon is the primer coat. But if you really want to work this out personally, then you're going to have to do the work and go through this stuff. And my, I just share with you, my greatest hope for you this week is that you'll experience freedom, as I've been experiencing it myself. So, yes, listen to this message, but it's only part one. And you have to apply this message to your life this week as you work through this material. Again, if you're only passing through, you're out of town, grab one of these little booklets and work through it on your own. Forgiveness, as the material tells us this week, is the gift that everyone wants to receive but we find it hard to give. Well, here in our passage in Matthew chapter 5, what we see is Jesus is outlining for his followers or future followers like us what it looks like to be a Christian. What does the Christian life look like? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And in this passage, we see that he lays out for us a number of what are called Beatitudes. What I'd like to do is just take some time and look through each of these, hopefully quickly, but then we'll settle in on the fifth beatitude there in verse 7. It says here in verse 3, blessed. And you'll notice that each verse begins with that word, blessed. He is speaking to the future followers or his current followers. He is saying, if you want to have a life that is satisfied, that is fulfilled, joy-filled, happy, and content. I'm going to lay out for you what that life looks like. It is the blessed life. What it means to be at peace with God, content in all circumstances, to be satisfied, to finally find what you've been looking for. It means to be revived. And then he's going to unpack a number of these different beatitudes for us. So look at verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? That it means to be in this blessed state, to be on the receiving end of his blessings. And the first rung on this ladder is to be poor in spirit. Now, in the Greek language, there are two different words to describe poorness. There is the working class, the one that has a job, doesn't make much, and barely makes ends meet at the end of the month. But there is also another type of poor, of one that has absolutely nothing, and they have to beg for everything. The word poor here is the second Greek word. It's an acknowledgement that I have absolutely nothing to bring to a relationship with God. The only thing I have is an awareness that all I bring is my sin and my brokenness. 
as we look at this passage, the invitation for this blessed state is extended. Not based on race or ethnic group, not based on the neighborhood or your upbringing. It's based on your awareness that you need to be forgiven of your sins. Sometimes we hear this little metaphor that people have when they ask themselves, am I going to heaven? Am I right with God? And they think about a scale. And on that scale is all my good works. And on the other side of that scale is all my bad works. But what Jesus is saying here, if you want to experience the blessed life, you are aware that you have absolutely no good works to offer on that scale. It's completely empty. The Bible tells us that our good works are like filthy rags. But it's when we are in this state, well, then we are eligible to see our need for forgiveness. I'm reminded of a a little passage there in Luke 18. Let me read these few verses to you. In verse 10, it said, Jesus saying this, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the first thing we see is this person is blessed. We also see, secondly, that he is forgiven. Charles Spurgeon said, God loves to forgive even more than you love to sin. Let's look at the next beatitude that we see here in verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now the word mourn here is used to describe the, the reaction that one has when a dear loved one has passed away. And they are crying out in loss and sadness. But the mourning that's expressed here in verse 4 is not over a loss, a person that is lost to them that's went on to the other side of death. Rather, it's of their own sin. A person that's a follower in this blessed state with Jesus does not take advantage of God's willingness to forgive, but actually mourns over the time that they sin and the effects of that sin. Parents, you can remember times probably, or maybe you have a child right now, that their conscience is so sensitive, so tender, that when they disobey and they realize it, it just tears them up. Some of you are thinking, I wish they were still like that. But that is the way that we want to be with God. When we're under the preaching of God's word, when we're reading God's word, maybe in a song, maybe in a testimony, and it just tears us up to know that we are not living what God wants us to live. So we actually mourn over that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, there's this godly repentance 
a godly sorrow that actually leads to repentance. Now, how is it possible that 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 sorrow over sin could lead to happiness? Well, happiness in the Bible is really traced back to a good relationship with God, being forgiven of our sins. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed, there it is, happy, content, fulfilled, joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Then let's look at the next beatitude, which is meekness. It says there in verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Having been on the receiving end of this fountain of forgiveness, of grace and mercy, this person that is now living out this blessed state now has the privilege of sharing that with others and their relationships. And so there's something called meekness. This person realizes that if there's been any blessing or any good that's come from their life, it's not based on them, but on the grace of God. So meekness is this strength under control. Sometimes there are people with such a bold and strong personality, but when they are experiencing meekness, it's not necessary for them to chime in on every talking point. There's some restraint there. It's one thing for us to acknowledge how poor we are in good works and our failings, but it's quite another for another person to point that out in our own life, isn't it? It's one thing for me to to beat myself up, but don't you do it. But a truly meek person's like, you know, you're right. I do have that sin in my life. I did fail there. In fact, there's a few other things that you're missing out. Let me, let, me add, let me add to that list. That's what a truly a meek person is. And then let's get this next one. There's hungering and thirsting. You see it there in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This word hunger here is a deep hunger. So strong that a measly little snack or sandwich will not satisfy. This speaks to the one that is following Jesus. They have their appetites changed. And now they seek after something else. They seek after righteousness. This life that Jesus is calling us to. And it's there where they are satisfied. You see it there in verse 6. But that satisfaction will never completely be met this side of heaven. We'll be satisfied, but we'll want more and more of God in our lives. All that really by way of introduction to get to verse 7, which says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Having experienced forgiveness, undeserved forgiveness, God now positions His follower to offer forgiveness to others. The word mercy here in verse 7 in the Greek is the word elemion, which is not a passive sort of response. According to Vine's Bible Dictionary, is not simply being possessed by pity, but actively compassionate. I was thinking of uh, growing up, we had a family dog, a golden retriever named Sandy, 
And then every once in a while, we'd have some little kittens or cats. And there that family dog would, would sit off in the corner. And these cats would come up and just kind of pick on our family dog. And we would look and say, man, at any moment, our dog could squash that kitten. In fact, I think I would if I were that dog right now. But it never did. And we might say, hey, that dog is being merciful. Well, that's not the word that is being used here. Because the word that's being used here is one that is very active. It's like, hey, I get an opportunity to show mercy to another person. Now, when this word mercy is being used, it can be applied in at least two different ways. One is physical, right? That we can say, let's be merciful. This person needs some food. They need some clothing. They need shelter. Let's apply this to their physical needs. And certainly that's applicable here. But what we're talking about this week and this morning is mercy by way of relationship. It's, it's people that have wronged us. That as a result of working our way through being poor in spirit, mourning over our sin, as we reflect on the forgiveness that has been granted to us, God now positions us to say, you want to be Christ-like? Now you get a chance to forgive others. So let me give you a few words here under merciful that I think could be helpful as we unpack this. And I'm being careful right now to make this not redundant of what you're going to be covering this week because I think they do such a complete and comprehensive, but I want to just come alongside and complement what you're going to be covering this week. So the first thing I think I see here when it comes to forgiveness is impossible. Let's just be honest. Okay, I'll be honest if you won't. (laughs) When I am wronged, I don't want to forgive. In fact, there's this twisted sinfulness within me that kind of wants to nurse that grudge and kind of like to wallow in it. And I know... Uh, some of our church family well enough to know that if I surround myself with a couple of people, they'll actually stroke that for me. And they would come alongside and say, you know, you should feel bad. You, you should. You, that's right. That, that, is, that has been wrong. And the truth is, as well as you intend on being kind to me, I don't need that. <laughs> and nor do you. Okay, you've been hurt. But what we really need to be doing, loved ones, is saying, okay, but you remember how you've been forgiven. And God has given you the grace to forgive them as well. I think if we're honest, it is impossible. Several years ago, as I was meeting with a group of people in our new member class, I was going through a little booklet that I still go through. It's called How to Know That I'm a Christian. And we were walking through the book of 1 John. And we were talking about if if you say that you're a Christian, then this is what the Bible says, that you will, well, you will love others. You won't have anger towards them. So I just paused and I said, if you have responded to the grace of God and you are born again, then what you're going to be working on is, is repairing the broken relationships. And there was a woman in that class. She's not a member of our church right now. She had moved on recently or several years ago. But she 
had water well up in her eyes, and she began to weep. They got the tissue out. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was like, there is some hurt that has taken place in my life, Chad, that there is no way in the world that God would want me to forgive this person. I cannot do it. And to that I say, that's the kind of honesty that we need to have, church family, isn't it? That we would just speak and just be ourselves and say when we're, we're struggling, that is true. I, I don't have it within me. And I would just remind you of the progression of these Beatitudes. Fortunately for us, Jesus did not lead with blessed are the merciful. But it's a, this progression. Well, first of all, because we've been forgiven and we realize that we had nothing to put on the scale of goodness, we got nothing there. All we can contribute is sin. And after having our hearts broken over rebelling against God again, we're reminded of this. We're reminded of our meekness. We're hungering after what right living. And in light of all of that, now we're given this opportunity to give the same mercy that we've received and offer it to another person. So the first thing I see here, it is it is impossible. And I think a lot of us will probably have some misunderstandings of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And the material this week is going to help us delineate those things. And what we're going to find is that the real key to forgiveness is to find out what the gospel says about it. So let me lead to you a second thing here as we're under this category of being merciful. One is that it's impossible. The second that is that it is gospel-driven. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross? He looked down and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Of all the miracles that Jesus performed, this one gets overlooked, isn't it? I mean, the very people that are crucifying him, at the moment they are crucifying him, he is more concerned about their soul and their eternity than he is about his physical pain. That's where I want to be. I'm not even, I'm not even close to that, but I think that's, by the grace of God, where we would like to be. And you might say to me, Chad, he is God. Of course he can do that, but that, that's a standard that none of us would be, ever be able to attain. Do you remember Stephen? At the end of Acts 7, this martyr, this Christian that was being stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus, and just before he died, in Acts 7, verse 60, do you remember what he said? He prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul says, if you want to forgive You have to go back to remember how you were forgiven. He said, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, a Christian is something before he does something. So in order to forgive, Christian, you have to go back to and remember what you were forgiven of. And and that is the source of, that, that flows down and makes it possible for you to forgive another. 
And this theme of forgiveness and bitterness and unforgiveness is so prevalent in our lives that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he inserted this little phrase so that we'd be praying it regularly. Remember it? Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, God or Jesus, God, at the same standard, I am forgiving others. Please forgive me. Now, when you think about that, we might be prone to say something like, you know what? I'm going to forgive you, but I'm never going to restore this relationship. And I would ask you, is that what the gospel says? Is that the same standard that God holds? I'm so grateful that he does not hold the same standard towards me. I'll forgive you this one time, but I'll tell you what. If this happens again, no more. Are you glad that God doesn't hold us to the same standard? Now listen, there are times in cases of abuse that we ought not to try to restore that relationship. And these are circumstances that are extreme. So we've got to be wise in all these things. But we are to look to the gospel, which is forgiveness is the central theme. It's one thing for us to be forgiven, but now we have the opportunity to forgive others. And listen, not only do people offend you, but has it ever occurred to you that you offend others? I'm amazed at how I'm capable of doing that without any intent at all. I can offend people, and you can too. And where there's people, there is problems. And where there's problems, there's offenses, isn't there? Do you know the name Ken Sandy? He wrote this wonderful book called Peacemaker. Just this week, I was listening to him, and he offers four promises of forgiveness. Loved ones, I usually have an outline. I usually have a PowerPoint, but it's just really been one of those weeks uh, but let me read to you these four promises, okay? This is, this is how you know if you've actually forgiven someone. You might want to jot these down. Here's four promises of forgiveness. The first is this. I will not dwell on this incident. I'm going to move on. I'm not going to let this consume me. I will not dwell on this incident. Secondly, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. This has happened. What's done is done. Now, there could be an exception there. If you see this as a pattern in a person's life, it might be something where you say, hey, this has been going on. I don't want to just bring up this past, but I think it's a pattern, so let's, let's go back to it for a moment. But the intention is not to say, we're just going to keep unpacking all this stuff from our past. But the second promise there is, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. And then thirdly, I will not talk to others about this incident. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to try to bring others into this so that they will commiserate in my misery and maybe inflame that. And then finally, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. 
by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, I'm going to offer the same to you. And we're going to move forward. So I've said that there's an impossibility to forgiveness or this mercy. I said that it's supposed to be gospel-driven or gospel-focused. And then I'll just say the last thing about this mercy is I think it's an opportunity for us. We have been the recipient of so much undeserved mercy and grace. And mercy presupposes a problem. It presupposes that someone has done something against me or are in trouble, and now I get to be a blessing to them. Mercy and forgiveness gives us the opportunity to apply what we have learned about the gospel. It seems to me within the church churches that often we think of maturity is let me just gather as much information and instruction I can and what maturity really looks like is someday I'll be able to articulate that to others. But could it be that what maturity really looks like is your character? And one of the main ways your character can be, uh, can be influenced by the gospel is by forgiving those who have wronged you? It was several years ago now in our church, and there was a man in our community, I don't remember his name, but I think he was very well-intentioned, but uh, he had carved out a little niche, and him and another person or some people had, had uh, underwritten a few very offensive billboards along the highway. And it was really intended to awaken just average church members to see that just because they prayed a prayer that they were not saved. But the approach that he had was quite offensive, I think. Not only to, um, to those who are not Christians, but even, even Christians. And he, he had a truck, a very nice uh, pickup truck, where he had some of the offensive uh, lettering on that. And lo and behold, he ended up here at Highland Crest. And he would sit right in that third row, and, and he came for a number of Sundays. I think he came on a couple of Wednesdays as well. And as, as we talked with him and visited with him, it was clear to us that he was there with no intention of really trying to get to know who we were as people. He didn't really want to know the heart of our church or get to know people within our church, but he just wanted to be able to look over our church and then to provide his own little summary of what the church was all about. And having collected enough information, one Sunday he was right out here on this entryway with a, with a big old sign in which he was kind of pacing back and forth the entryway to our, our driveway. And, and he was just condemning our church for something or another. You know, there was something within me that just was very offended by that. Who was he? He didn't take the time to get to know us. He didn't really know what we believed But he had taken some information that he had, and there he was. And he was out there as people were going by, uh, broadcasting information of what he thought Highland Crest was like. I remember uh, Pastor Jim was the pastor at that time, and he was uh, behind a pulpit up here, and he was telling us how we should respond. And he was reading verses from Romans 12, or referencing them anyway. He said, "'Repay no one evil for evil.'" But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with, with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but 
Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And he encouraged us to be kind to this man. And so I, and I think maybe one of our safety team men, went out with some water. I wanted to bring a few other things with me, but I was trying to honor what Pastor Jim had to say. And we just went out there very politely and respectfully. said, can you tell us why you're doing this? And he went on to say, you're, you're a false church and you're, you know, whatever. And, and I said, all we've tried to do is just love you. And, and if you have any questions about who we are, we'd love to talk to you. And we set it down there, that, that water. As far as I know, he didn't even drink the water. He stayed out there for a while. And next thing you know, he loaded up his truck and he was gone. I think he went on to the next church then. And there was some offense that I had had in me about that. And then it was just, well, it was just a few weeks ago. Our family was downtown at that same boardwalk. We were, we were there on a hot afternoon, and there's a water sprinkler system. And some guy come by on his pedal bike, and who was it? <laughs> the billboard man, you know. And I said, that's the guy. And you know what happened? There wasn't a tinge of anger or pain or resentment about that. And that drove me to worship. I said, Lord, you've done a work here in me. Thank you for the grace and the freedom that you have brought. And you know, that's been lived out in my life, and I hope that's been lived out in your life as well. As you've been forgiven... And you've been given the opportunity to forgive others. Sometimes the only time you know is have you really forgiven them is when you hear their name. When you bump into them. And you're like, praise the Lord. God has brought freedom in my life. Church family, isn't that what you want? Is freedom. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for myself. That's what's before us this week. Would you not be willing just to do the work, honestly, seeking out this forgiveness of people who wronged you and settle that this week? I'm just being honest with you. Um, As I went through this, there was another, there was one that popped up that was a surprise to me, another opportunity to forgive. So do the work this week. Shall we? Let's pray. Father, as we, uh, as we sit underneath the teaching today, it's wise for us just to reflect on your faithfulness and how you are worthy, on how you are the Lord of our salvation. Yeah, that's what we've been singing about all morning. And it's good for us. That ought to be the focus of what you've brought through Jesus on the cross, the forgiveness of sins that we have experienced. And then in light of this, if we really want to be Christ-like, then you will 
place us in opportunities where we can offer that same mercy and grace to others. Not just to be forgiven, but to see that relationship restored. So we pray for your grace in that. Pray for the opportunity that's before us today and this week to be able to just work through the material that's provided for us. Ultimately, we want to be close, close to you. We want to be useful to you. So use this material, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.